Hi everyone, this is Serena, founder and director of Breaking Taboo. Welcome to our video audio podcast series. Today I'm sitting here with Crystal Lancaster. And Crystal is one of our longtime volunteers here. Um, and actually, I consider her to be a uh, part of the core team. She's been with us for quite some time at Breaking Taboo. She's helped with a variety of different things. And most of all, she's just um, a wonderful person to be with. And we're so happy to have her support with Breaking Taboo. Um, and uh, Crystal also has her own story of her own mental health struggles. So I'll let her share all about that crystal how are you doing today i'm doing great um as well as i can be considering the circumstances um, with covid19 and everything but i'm doing good yeah well it's good to see you again (laughs) it's been quite some time Mm -hmm. um crystal and i have been trying to get together for for a lunch for (laughs) the past uh a few months or so, yes. right? So yeah, yeah. So first, um, it was your foot injury, and now it's COVID. So, um, but you know, this is great. It's a great time for us to chat. So uh, I'm excited to get you on this podcast so that you can further share your story uh, with the rest of our audience out there. So, Crystal, let's just get started with um, having you share a little bit about what your experience has been like with um, Breaking Taboo so far. I'm sure a lot of people are probably curious what it's like on the other side um, of all the work that we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, when I first started at Breaking Taboo, um, I think I started out as an article writer. So I was basically just um, preparing articles I think the first one was about um, step taking a step up in education, meaning bringing education to schools, uh, making it part of the curriculum or whatnot. Um, I later moved on to um, become the volunteer coordinator, so I would um, recruit people to to come and become part of the team, whether it be for like fundraising or social media. Um, we did have a lot of a lot of applicants um, interested in becoming part of Breaking Taboo, which was really great. Um, so it's it's really great seeing that part of it, knowing you know how many people actually want to be a part of this. Um, I've loved being behind the scenes. Um, I was part of the um, documentary crew in the way that um, I recruited. A lot of high profile, I would say, um, people from different organizations, uh, namely NAMI, um, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So we had, you know, the Kim Bunnell, the, um, he's now the executive president of the Greater Los Angeles Area NAMI. And we had um, Steve Pittman from NAMI OC. Um, so having all those people willing to participate and um, be part of our cause was really a, really a great thing. and. Um, I love what Breaking Taboo does. Um, I've always really admired you, uh, Serena, for the work that you've done, um, especially for the cause of suicide prevention. I know you've lost a few people very dear to you um, because of that. And it's organizations like these that I'm more than happy to be a part of because, you know, suicide is something that I think is sorely overlooked or just not spoken about in our in our world today and so many people do we lose to that and definitely something needs to be done about that. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. Um, and yeah, always appreciate, uh, you know, uh, the help that you've given to the team. And just for everyone out there, there's a good chance that if you 
uh, have contacted us uh, for volunteer positions, or if you are planning to, you might be talking to Crystal yeah. <laughs> here. So, <laughs> so she is the person behind the scenes um, currently uh, with the volunteer coordination. So yeah, um, uh, but Crystal, you have so much more to you, obviously, mm -hmm. than um, being a part of Breaking Taboo. You so Crystal mentioned article writing, and that's because Crystal is a writer herself. And um, currently, right now, she is working on a book of her own mental health um, experiences. Right, and yeah. we're we're both huge advocates of of writing and literature. So it's great to have a fellow writer on board. Um, but why don't you share a bit about your story? About uh, what's in your book? What did you write about? Um, so the book, I mean, it is a work of fiction. Um, it would probably be in the genre. I actually learned a lot about genres in this whole query process of like trying to get agents to read my book. So I guess it would be considered um, women's fiction with a subgenre of romance. But um, the main thing really is mental health, mental illness. With this book, I really hope to really... Um, uphold a platform for the importance of mental health and, you know, how imperative it is for us as a society or even as humankind to understand what mental illness is, how it comes to be about, what we can do to help it, to help cure it. I mean, we can't cure it, we can treat it, but um, it's just a topic that is so sorely overlooked and mm -hmm. misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And I want this book to show that, you know, even though you may have a mental illness, happiness is still in your path. Like you can lead a full and happy life, even if you have bipolar one disorder, which I have or whatnot, um, you can have happiness. And I think a lot of people with mental illnesses don't realize that they can't, they're just struggling so much. You know, they only see like the darkness that they don't realize that they can have a happy life, you know, that it's, that it's tangible. And it's so important for me, for people to understand that. Um, so my book is basically about a girl with a mental illness and it chronicles her life over a span of about 10 years. She falls in love and it's about the journey together of those two people. Oh, so that's what that's about. Yeah. I love love stories, so <laughs> I can't wait yeah. to read it. <laughs> um, so were, was any of that based on your own experience? Uh, definitely. Um, so a lot of the, the events in the book were definitely drawn from real life experiences. Um, how, for example, how the characters met is kind of how me and my boyfriend of 12 years met. And so, and how did you meet? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was actually at a, a birthday party in downtown Fullerton. This was back in 2008. Um, and he was there with a friend. And um, the friend that I brought with me, he actually went to high school with my boyfriend, Richard, and he introduced us and it just kind of evolved from there and we're still together. So, so your own personal experiences uh, with bipolar disorder and you said that it was bipolar one yes bipolar one great and for those of um the, our audience out there what is the difference with bipolar one and bipolar two so basically bipolar one disorder is when you have both manic episodes and you have depressive episodes manic meaning 
Um, a lot of it has to do with if you have like short, like all this pent up energy and um, a lot of the times you have a false sense of euphoria or you have like delusions of grandeur, you like feel like you're invincible, you're on top of the world and you get easily distracted and you're ta talking like a, a thousand words a minute and you're just like all over the place. And then depression is, you know, what most people know depression to be. So with bipolar one, you have that um, kind of roller coaster, I guess you can say, but it's not, it's not very frequent. Um, usually it'll happen over like um, months or weeks at a time, not necessarily like one day you'll be up and the other day you'll be down. Um, but then with bipolar two, it's mostly just depression and there's no uh, mania with bipolar two. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because a lot of people tend to think of bipolar differently. Like um, people tend to think of bipolar as like mood swings, you know, throughout the day or like, mm -hmm. or like what you just said, like one day you're like this and next day you're like that. But that is typically not the case uh, with, especially with bipolar one disorder um, or bipolar two. Uh, so that's very interesting to note. Um, so uh, how did, since we are on the topic of a love story and, and you are um, all about, you know, obviously uh, being able to live a full, fulfilled um, life and have uh, long-term relationships, even with um, a mental health diagnosis. Uh, how did that come into play with, in your relationship um, with your partner? Um, well, when I met him, I was very stable, had been for, let's see, for about six years um, since before I started college. So I wasn't having any episodes at that time. Um, and I tried explaining to him every now and then about my disorder, but he never really understood it because he hadn't seen it for himself until four years later when I actually had a manic episode. Um, and that lasted for about five months. What and was that? What was that like? Like uh, when it first happens, um, uh, what what were you doing? Like, what did your boyfriend notice that was different? So, what did he notice? Well, I think it was actually more of me telling him things that kind of he just he's like something's off there. Well, for one, I was telling him I was hearing voices, okay. and I was telling him, like, we'd be at a restaurant, and I'd, like, whispered to him, like, don't you hear them talking about me? And then he'd be like, babe, I don't hear anything. Um, so it, that was one. It was, a, it was actually a mixed episode, um, which was really scary. So I was manic, but I was also depressed at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I was at a very low point in my life. Um, I stayed in bed most of the time, like, all day and all night. I was scared to go outside. Um, I had really bad social anxiety. Um, it but was you were manic, but you were manic also? I was manic um, because I was hearing those voices and I was delusional. And I thought um, everyone was talking about me. I thought the television was making daily references to my own life. Mm -hmm. So I basically thought I was famous, which happens a lot um, with people who have bipolar one if they have a medic episode, they tend to think, you know, they have this fame or something that doesn't really exist. Okay, so you were 
uh, depressed and in bed um, a lot, and you were hearing voices and paranoid at the same time. Yes. Okay. Okay. And when that happens for you, um, do you immediately know that there's something different or something off or like how long does it usually take you or, or does someone have to tell you and point it out to you? Um, it didn't take long for me to realize what was happening um, because it happened like six years before. So yeah, um, it was really easy for me to realize what was happening, which was so weird for me and frustrating at the same time. It's because it was like I was almost like beside myself. Like I knew what was happening wasn't real, but it felt so real that I was convinced that it was and nothing could persuade me otherwise. And um, I definitely freaked my boyfriend out, um, but he stayed like, I don't know many guys that would, but he stuck by my side and he even had to virtually like shake me and be like, like, I'm what's real. Like, this is real, you know, like all that other crap that you're hearing, you know, just forget about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was definitely a, a trying time in our relationship. Um, and yeah. And mm -hmm. were you on medication at the time or were you off it? I was on some of my medication. Um, that's the problem. I think I stopped taking like two because I actually take about seven a day. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped taking, I think it was like Seroquel or something, which is actually like an anti-psychotic medication. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of, that's one of the things that led um, to my episode. Another thing was that I stopped exercising and I had been exercising every day for three years up till then. And so that kind of like, I don't know, set me off, I guess, as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you think yeah. that exercise makes a huge difference in, um, uh, in, in whether or not you have your episodes? Uh, definitely. It's because, you know, those endorphins that you get going. I think that's why they say like, when you don't feel like exercising, like that's the time you should exercise, you know, mm -hmm. um, just to, Interesting. yeah, make yourself and, feel better. And why was it that you stopped taking uh, your antipsychotics? To be honest, I, I don't even remember why. I think it must have been, I probably thought I didn't need it. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I was doing so well that I didn't feel like I needed it. But I think the reason why I was feeling so well was because I was taking it. Yeah, so, that often yeah. happens. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a common occurrence um, in mental health, actually. Uh, and I, I'm sure in physical health also. Um, so on the topic of medication, do they give you any like bad side effects? Uh, are the side effects really severe? Or are they um, capable of, of being handled relatively well? So lithium, um, which is one of the main drugs that they mostly prescribe for people with bipolar disorder, um, can have a really bad effect. It can mess up your kidneys and your liver, basically. So every three months, I actually have to have like uh, my blood taken just to be sure that my, li my lithium levels are all right. Um, you can actually get like lithium stones, which are kind of like kidney stones, um, if you take too much. 
And one thing that I've always um, been frustrated with was that I have like severe constipation and bloating because of lithium. Um, I noticed that when, when at one period I stopped taking it and my stomach was just completely flat. But when I take it every day, like it definitely, it literally makes me look like I'm pregnant. I've had people actually ask me if I'm pregnant oh. because of the lithium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? Um, I mean, I didn't mind it at the time, but I think it's kind of ironic that I might not even be able to have kids because I'm on medication and yet I could look like I'm pregnant even when I'm not. Oh, that so. is that is an interesting topic. I don't think we've dived into that topic as of yet. Um, yeah, when you're on medication. So have you spoken to a doctor about this? Um, if uh, uh, And let me know if I'm getting too personal, but, um, you know, ha- uh, have you thought about having kids and um, asked a doctor about how you might be able to go about doing so? Would you have to go off of uh, your medications entirely for nine months or a year or two years? How does that work? Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely a a major subject for me. I've always wanted to have kids, three in fact, for as long as I can remember. Um, But to be honest, I don't think it's in the cards for me, at least not biologically for me to to bear children. Um, I'm tremendously afraid to go off my medication because I don't want to be back where I was before in a very dark place. Um, so dark that, you know, I've had like suicidal thoughts, like that's not something I can endure. I mean, I have endured it, but if I had a choice, I wouldn't. Um, so, um, my psychiatrist did say it's possible though. He said it would probably take about a year to wean myself off the medication. So I would have to slowly wean myself off. Um, and I've also spoken to my OBGYN and, she said, you know, there's high risk pregnancy doctors out there who actually specialize in these things, specialize in um, women who have depression, but who want to, you know, um, naturally bear a child. Um, I don't know if she still wants to, but my little sister actually agreed that she would be my surrogate if I wanted to freeze my eggs. Um, so that is an option, but it's also an expensive option. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, the weight of being a woman for sure. Something, something that is exclusive that women have to think about. Um, and the weight definitely lies on us. The, the whole Mm -hmm. thing of having children, when to have them, how to have them, who to have them with all that stuff. So, (laughs) yeah. So, um, well, that's very interesting. I, I think that's a very important topic um, that I would like to actually engage in a bit more in, in, in possibly a future episode um, of childbearing and uh, mental health and medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. So, um, let's let's go back. <laughs> take take sure. me back to uh, when was the first time you started noticing... Um, your symptoms and how did you notice it? How did, like, what got you to uh, reach out for help or did someone do that for you? The very very first time was when I was in high school. Um, It was lunchtime and everyone was sitting in all their little groups. 
And then for some reason, I could have sworn that the next group over called me a freak. Um, and it's, it all snowballed from there um, because they hadn't called me that. I was just having auditory hallucinations. It got to the point where like the guidance counselor actually called people into her office and asked them if they were, you know, talking about, you know, someone in the, in the class or whatnot. Um, it was, it just felt so real to me. Um, it actually happened um, not long after September 11th. And my psychiatrist attributed actually my break to September 11th, because for some reason, um, it had happened a year after my dad died. So he was saying that for some reason, it triggered the trauma of my dad's death like just mm. seeing the death of all those people for some reason triggered the trauma inside of me and that's how I had my mental breakdown um so I was you know thinking that the news was talking about me people on the radio everywhere I went people were talking about me um and they took me out of school Basically, um, I was actually homeschooled for three months. And then my psychiatrist, well, first they thought I had schizophrenia because of the voices. Um, but that was after the doctor, the doctor saw me for like five minutes and she was like, oh, schizophrenia. And that was that. Not that was a psychiatrist or not a psychiatrist, that general that was, practitioner. So it was a, it was a psychiatrist. Oh. Mm -hmm, the very first mm. one I saw. Mm. And then I, yeah. Just disc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lesson to be learned there. Um, well, I then, think that's the taboo that a lot of people have around psychiatrists, even psychologists, is that I, I guess, um, especially earlier on, um, you know, I think things are changing more and more so now. And even psychiatrists and psychologists are becoming more and more aware of, the, of, of just how complicated mental health is. But you'd think that going through school for so long <laughs> would, uh, you know, sh uh, show them or train them that, that mental health is not something that you can just look at one symptom and be like, okay, it's, it's this, you know, there's right. so much more to it than that. But I think, yeah, that's a taboo is that people people out there sometimes are reluctant to see a psychiatrist um, or, or a psychologist because they're afraid that will happen um, and that they will get misdiagnosed or uh, be put on the wrong meds or, you know, or whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> but they are changing. Things are changing. And there are a lot of, for every bad seed, there are, um, I think, uh, a lot of good seeds to balance it out. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, um, Okay, so so how did you find out? Um, it, it was a it was a uh, psychiatrist. Like, like, who brought you there? Who brought you to the psychiatrist? Was it like your parents that made the judgment call that okay, this is um, you know something else might be happening? Let's bring her to a psychiatrist. Like, how did that even happen? Well, it's interesting because so my mom because my dad had just passed the year before. My mom was pretty much the decision maker, and she had a kind of figure it out on her own um, because my aunties and uncles were saying that I was just being a rebellious teenager. Mm. Um, they did not believe that there was something else there. Um, so it was actually the guidance counselor at my high school that told my mom, you need to take her to a psychologist. Mm. So my mom took me to the 
psychiatrist who misdiagnosed me. And then we saw several other psychiatrists after that. Finally, um, we ended up with Dr. Young, who is still my psychiatrist today. And how, how long of a relationship is that with Dr. About Young? 16 or 17 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> long time. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome, though, that you found someone, um, yeah, that you trust. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, he's an amazing doctor. I hope he doesn't retire soon. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, so he actually diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and I went back to school. But the person that went back to school was not the person that I was before three months ago. I was very, I originally, and I still am pretty shy and quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went back to school, I was actually very bold and brazen. Like I asked my senior English teacher out to prom and I, yeah. <laughs> and what, I, did, what did he say? Um, well, I held up like a sign in the back of the <laughs> class and he was pretty much like, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> did yeah. you make the sign? I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you tell any of your friends? Did you tell anyone that you're going to do it? No, it was just this random impulsive thing that I decided to do. <laughs> and did, did other people like see it? Like, I mean, I don't think so. Cause I was like at the very back of the class. So it's kind of just like something that he saw. And then I like put it back down. Um, so yeah, I did that. And I, um, I try to meet up with guys on the internet Ooh. and yeah, I did some things that I'm not very proud of. Um, and did you, did you meet up with them? I actually mm-hmm. did. One of my friends drove me to San Diego um, and the guy wasn't home or maybe <laughs> he was, I don't know, <laughs> but that was like the extent of that. Uh-huh. Um, and then that summer, things only got worse. Um, I became more and more manic. Like I wouldn't go to sleep and I would just, I actually thought that I was going to get engaged to this guy I dated for like a week. And I thought every attempt um, to put me in some place was like, he was going to come around the corner and then we would get married or something like that. So I was very delusional. Um, and I basically, the, the month that I was supposed to start um, college at UCI, I was committed to a psychiatric institution instead. Um, and that's where I was actually diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. So what actually um, got you to be committed? Like what, what was that final step or that final thing that happened? Um, it's ironic because I think what it was, not only was I running around the house shouting, um, I actually was upstairs in my bedroom and I pushed out the screen window of, you know, the window in my room. And I actually just did that to sit down and to sing, but my mom thought I was attempting suicide. So she called 5150 on me. I see. I see. Interesting. Well, it's probably a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. So what was your experience like? I know you, uh, Crystal, by the way, wrote an article uh, for us, um, uh, a very interesting story of her experience um, in a, what was it, a psychiatric ward, right? Or mm -hmm. hospitalization, right? Um, so she actually wrote about that. So yeah, but why don't you share a bit about that right now? Like, what was it like? Did you, do you agree with it? Do you, you know, is it something that you feel like helped you or because there's so much controversy with this. I hear so many different conflicting opinions with people that have gone through this and, and been hospitalized. Um, what was the experience like for you? Um, well, I think ultimately, I think it, it was a good thing for me um, just because I was under constant surve surveillance. Um, my mom did tell me, however, that they had a they had a hard time diagnosing me because I had so many symptoms. Like I had symptoms of schizoaffective disorder, also symptoms of bipolar disorder. So they weren't quite sure like what to diagnose me with. Um, but that's the diagnosis that they gave me so I could go home basically. Mm. Um, but I was actually, when she called 5150 on me, um, I was actually transported to a little clinic um, in this in La Palma and I was sit, sitting there laying in the bed thinking okay Warren Warren the guy that I dated for a week I was like okay he's coming to get me we're gonna you know get married whatever and I kept listening for the sound of his footsteps and that never came um, and then I was transported to another hospital in Alhambra um, and I was there for about two weeks um, I don't really remember much. I do remember trying to escape a lot because I was just not in the right state of mind. Like I didn't know what was going on. Like I physically just, you tried to escape a lot? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, interesting. That's um, like in the movies. <laughs> yeah. So, because I, and yeah, I just had a very Did they, like, did they um, have to restrain you? Yeah, several times, like, I remember, like, these grown men would, like, hold me down, and I call it booty juice. They would, like, inject me with booty juice to sedate me, and then they would just leave me in this room, and mm -hmm. then you're just kind of, like, after, like, the booty juice sets in, you're kind of just thinking to yourself, like, oh, how'd I end up in here? What's going on? Um, Were you strapped in or anything on the bed? No, I wasn't strapped in. Okay. They left me to just basically circle the room. Pretty oh, okay. Much. Yeah. And did you have your own room or did you share a room? No, I always shared a room. I remember my very first roommate was a, a little strange, but I guess saying that now it's kind of like, well, I was in a mental situation. So <laughs> sure everyone was a little strange in there. <laughs> but to me, she was kind of off, and I was like, I, <laughs> I didn't, yeah. Like, how so? Um, she clearly was like a, a teenager, but she spoke like she was like five or I don't uh, know. She, it, yeah, it yeah, was a little strange. The regressive personality, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my roommate was a little off, but I guess I was a little off too. But I just remember not feeling right around her, I guess you can say. And um, anyway, but my mom did uh, take me out of that hospital because she thought, 
Um, it wasn't very like, she didn't think it was very sanitary. It wasn't mm -hmm. run very well. Um, so then I was transported to college hospital in Cerritos, um, where I was there for about a month and a half, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember like not wanting to be there and really just feeling like a prisoner. And I always like think of it as like at least people who have a jail sentence, like they know when their sentence is over. But when you're in a mental institution, it's like indefinite. Like you don't really know when you're going home. It all mm -hmm. depends on like if they think you're progressing or doing well or not. And I think that was the scariest thing for me is, is like, when am I going home, you know? And I remember just begging my mom, like every time I saw her, like, please let me just go home. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a lot of biscuits and gravy for lunch. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So now I can't really stomach them because <laughs> it just reminds me of the hospital. How long were you there for? Um, I was there for like a month and a half. Oh, okay. And then the place yeah. before that? How long were you there? Two for? weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But it felt like a lot longer probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what, did, what were your like um, usual routines there? Did you have a routine? So we did like exercise on this like 20 foot by 20 foot cement block. And then there was like uh, 50 foot gates and then like cypress trees like surrounding those gates. And like you could hear the outside, uh, but you couldn't see it and you couldn't touch it or feel oh, wow. it. So that was pretty torturous <laughs> Wow, being able to hear it, but not actually like be a part of that world. So you did exercise on cement blocks? Yeah, so like toe touches and oh, like okay. and like um, jumping jacks, things like that. Nothing too extreme, okay. but yeah, something to just get outside, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had like music therapy and mm -hmm. um, just talk therapy, where we just sit around in a circle and talk. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting because I would like recount this to my mom like I did the other day I was talking about it and like apparently there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember <laughs> so even like what I'm telling you now like it could I don't know be different it's, yeah yeah well that's the thing with our memories um with everyone's memories is that uh, our memories lie sometimes and it filters out a lot of things um mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, sometimes people only remember the good stuff. Sometimes they only remember the bad stuff. You know, it's like, yeah, it's different for everyone and different for every uh, situation. But um, yeah, that's why sometimes, you know, like when people argue or whatever, and it's like, oh, no, you said this or you said that. He said, she said, it's not really that reliable. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, people true. tend to forget exactly what they said yeah uh, especially I've realized I've noticed especially if they're triggered at the moment um, if they're triggered at the moment they literally cannot even remember sometimes like what what had just happened or what they said um, a moment before during the trigger but um, anyway um, so okay so so later in life, okay, so, so you got out, finally you got out, um, and uh, um, I mean, it sounds like, unfortunately, it sounds like jail got out, <laughs> but um, I like, what it, it was, I mean, would you say it was beneficial for you in like some capacity? Um, I think in the sense that it gave me a diagnosis, it gave 
the doctors something to work with. Um, because and do you, do you agree with that diagnosis by the way? I do. Um, I studied a bit about psychology and the way that like the uh, DSM five. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You, you know? went to a uh, uh, college for psychology, right? Yes. I did. Yeah. Well, I went to, I started my master's. I haven't finished it, but. Um, oh, so you, you graduated psychology. Um, no, I graduated uh, with English, oh. but um, I was I was getting my master's in clinical psychology. So, oh, great. yeah, we did go over a bit. And I mean, bipolar disorder, it does definitely. Yeah, I, I feel like I definitely fit in that in that box. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I get a lot of anxiety, too. But yeah. I would say in bipolar. So how do you, I mean, right now, obviously, um, you've been on medication for a while, right? Have you been on it since that, uh, uh, since the last episode you spoke about with your boyfriend? Yes. So that was back in 2012. So I've been on, back on my regular medication since then. Okay. So that's eight years. Um, And uh, has anything happened? since then or have it has a life been pretty much stable and back to the norm um actually about three weeks ago um i had um missed a dose of my clonazepam which Mm -hmm. is the anxiety medication and it kind of threw me off track so actually for a couple weeks now i've been having a lot of anxiety a lot of depression and i'm just now coming out of it um, oh, wow. And so, that's just from missing one dose mm-hmm. for like one day. Yeah. Hmm. Um, wow. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I feel a lot better now, like knock on wood, but I was going through some really hard times um, there. And it it just, I, it's funny because you never think it's going to happen again. Like you think you'll be prepared for it. You think, okay, I, you know, I know how to tackle it now. I know how to how to fight it but it's like your mind is so strong that if it wants to wreak havoc you know it will sometimes you there's nothing you can do to stop it unfortunately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean definitely uh commend you for not only having to go through all this and and you know being um a warrior through it all but also being brave enough obviously to share your story and open enough because so many people go through things like this and they're so embarrassed and ashamed again of course because of the taboo and the stigma but it's important to speak out about it because again you know for everyone um you know uh one in every four people suffer from a mental health condition at some point in their lives so it's extremely common um and uh, a lot of people out there do have um, bipolar disorder. Um, so I think it's important for them to, to uh, uh, know that they're not alone in mm-hmm. this. And also everyone's experiences is different. Like everyone, no matter what the DSM says, you know, it's uh, everyone has a different experience of their own mental health conditions. So yeah, and it can vary greatly. Um, So yeah, I think it's important uh, to, to share what, what, what's happening for you and what you've experienced. So uh, yeah, so for um, uh, people out there, 
who uh, are, you know, have bipolar uh, disorder, who have recently been diagnosed, what can you tell them to help them get through it? Or I, any words of advice? Yeah, um, you definitely need a strong support system. Um, if it wasn't for my mom, I don't know where I would be today. Um, I know a lot of people are against taking medication or their family is against taking medication. And I know some people can get through it without medication, but there's so, so many that really do need it. And I don't think people should be afraid to see what medication can do for them. You know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Does someone with a heart condition, you know, not take their medication because you know, they feel guilty about taking it. No, they take it because they need it to live, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's how we should address medication when it comes to mental illness. I mean, I'm not going to, to shame anyone who doesn't take it or who's against it, but just be open to it, I guess you can say, because it's helped me tremendously to just balance myself. And you do need a mental health professional in your life as well to help you and guide you through it. Um, you know, help you talk through those things that you can't talk through with your parents or your brother, or your sister that, you know, they've been there or they know people who've been there. So I think definitely just make sure you have that strong social support system and to never give up hope. Like I said, there's always happiness in your path, you know, just keep hope going. Is my middle name. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> yeah, Serena Hope Sun. Yeah, Hope is Hope is literally my middle name. Um, uh, directly, literally translated from Chinese. Oh wow! Yeah, so in Chinese uh, it's called Shi, like Shi Wang, uh, but Hope. Yeah, <laughs> no one can pronounce Shi. She is spelled X I. There's no one that can pronounce. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, definitely hope. And I think what you're saying is pill shaming because just oh. like you said, don't shame people for not taking medication, but don't shame people who do take medication mm -hmm. also because right. there is a phenomenon called pill shaming and it is very apparent um, in society today. So yeah. Um, do you have any questions for me? Um, any questions for you? Not that I can think of. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you would like to um, add? Um, yeah, just um, I came across the, the phrase uh, beautifully resilient. And I like to think that people with mental illnesses are beautifully resilient. Um, they might not think they're resilient, but, you know, they are. And yeah, just keep having hope. I know it seems like such a like impossible thing to have when you're literally like in a ditch somewhere and you can't see the light, but just keep holding on. And if you have faith in God, keep praying because he's listening and just don't give up on yourself, you know, and let others help you because they're, mm -hmm. they're those who are there for you as well. Is there um, uh, any time in your life that you felt like this uh, was a burden you didn't want to carry? Well, let me rephrase that. Um, do you feel like that now? Like this, or uh, that do you, do you, if given the choice, would you choose um, not to have 
your condition? It's funny. I was asked that before, and I actually said I would choose to have it simply because I'm that much stronger because of it, um, that much wiser, and I can help others who are going through it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it it is a burden. Um, I won't lie. It's it's hard. Things aren't always easy, especially when you're always second guessing yourself and you're, you're always afraid that it's going to come back, you know, mm -hmm. and you know that it's always going to be there, but mm -hmm. I have it and I have to live with it. So I have to just make the best of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, um, mental health advancements and advancements in, in medicine, um, you know, they they happen so quickly. Like there are advancements like every year, there's more and more research being done about mental health and psychology. So, you know, I, I do think, speaking of hope, I do think, you know, um, I'm hopeful that in the future, there will be even better medication and better methods to treat things such as bipolar and every other mental health condition out there uh you know it's just a, a matter of time it's just like just like medicine um mm -hmm. physically you know like back in the day you know um people didn't really have the most advancements in surgery and stuff and now look at us we're using like lasers <laughs> you know to make cuts and and um you know to correct uh, uh vision and all sorts of right. you know things so i think the same thing will happen with mental health and it's important uh i think for people to support the advancements um you know and to support mental health in general so that we can get to a point later on in the future where uh, we can better help, you know, everyone out there, uh, even ourselves, even people who, who may not be suffering from, um, uh, like, a more severe uh, condition in the spectrum, you know, like, everyone goes through something, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. um, we all have to develop our own resilience and our own tools, um, you know, to, to deal with things and, um yeah, there's a, there's a lot of research still to be done, <laughs> but yeah. that's why I love psychology, you know, <laughs> always more to discover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never gets boring. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you. Uh, it was really nice having you and always, you know, always great to have you on the team. I'm sure we'll be in touch very frequently. Yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, if any of you uh, are interested in volunteering, um, you know, do give us a shout. Uh, you, you can do that by going online or we're also on Volunteer Match and LinkedIn. Um, so uh, feel free to give Crystal a shout also if you want to. <laughs> Yes, cool. definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. It was so nice yeah. having you. Thank you Thanks for listening, for everyone. Me. Bye. Have a great Bye. day. Bye. <laughs>